Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes of your time. If you'll give me that much time, I'll give you the world because our broadcast partners are standing by to give us insight into current events. I'm talking about current events that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I'm here in Tallahassee, Florida, Temporary studios for Prophecy Today. Right after the broadcast, Judy and I will drive up to Oxford, Alabama. We're going to be at the Trinity Baptist Church there with Pastor Grinstead. We're going to have a Sunday through Wednesday Prophecy Conference. It's going to be a great opportunity to be with the pastor. He has two of the radio stations that carries our broadcast, and we're inviting all of those on those stations to come join us as we study the prophetic Word of God. I've got Winky Madad standing by. He's going to be talking about the priestly blessings that were pronounced upon almost 100,000 Jewish worshipers at the Western Wall Plaza. And then I'm going to be talking with Itamar Marcus. The Palestinians are claiming that the two stripes on the Israeli flag represent an expansion of greater Israel. And one stripe represents the Nile River, the other the Euphrates. You need to hear more detail on this particular issue. Stay tuned because we've got our broadcast partners standing by. Well, right now we go to Ken Timmerman. He looks at geopolitical activities. And Ken, I told you last Saturday after we had our wonderful meal there on the coast of Florida in that great Portuguese restaurant. It was just a marvelous time. So glad to be able to finally meet you and your precious wife. And it was a good time of fellowship together, wasn't it? It was. We had a great time, Jimmy. It was uh, really a treat to finally sit down face-to-face after all these years we've been uh, you know, working together on air. Yes, it, it really was. And, man, I'm more convinced now that you are smarter than I ever thought anybody could be. You, you've either been to the locations of all these things happening or you have a personal friends that are there and interact with you. Well, and I understand you are coming back from Washington, and in the airplane you were able to watch the news conference between Vice President Pence and Tayyip Erdogan there in Turkey as it relates to the Turkish invasion of Syria. What do we know about that conversation and the peace process? Well, first of all, we know that Erdogan initially was not going to receive the vice president and the secretary of state. He was insisting that Trump uh, come to sit at his feet in uh, Ankara. Well, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, Finally, when he decided to receive them, it was a tough conversation. Five hours, we're told, of negotiations. But the end result, at least as it was announced, is a big victory, I believe, for the president of the United States, for Donald Trump. He got the Syrians to back off in their invasion, a five-day-long ceasefire. And in my view, the proof of the pudding here will be how civilians are treated not just by the Turkish military, but also by these jihadi groups that Turkey has enlisted as part of their invasion force. If Erdogan can rein in the jihadi groups, or if he chooses to rein in the jihadi groups and keep them from attacking Assyrian Christians, Kurds, and Yazidis in northern Syria, then I think this will be a huge success uh, for President Trump. But if we see those kind of exactions taking place, 
uh, this story could develop next week with increased sanctions from the United States Congress. Yes, and I understand Syria is ready to counter the Turkish invasion by any legitimate means possible. So they're not going to lay down and let Turkey run over them, are they? Well, that is what happened after the Russians decided to admonish Turkey gently, say, we don't really approve of you coming in here. And the Kurds, of course, in northern Syria were very afraid. They were being pressed on all sides by the Turks and these jihadist militias. And the Kurds cut a deal with Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian president. And they said, look, uh, we will withdraw from the border areas if your military comes in to replace us. And there have been videos we've been watching all week of the Kurds and the Christians in northern Syria welcoming Syrian government troops with flags and posters of Bashar al-Assad. This is pretty extraordinary after almost seven years of near autonomy in the north for the Kurds. It looks like there may be some new borders drawn as it relates to Syria. And I've uh, read a report, I'm not sure how true it is, maybe you can update us, that President Trump has given Vladimir Putin a free reign to carve up Syria the way he wants to make it go. There are media reports to that effect where Trump has said, uh, look, there's a lot of sand they can play with. If the Russians want to move in, that's fine with him. He said, let them fight their own wars. The key for President Trump is that he did not want to see U.S. soldiers killed on these front lines for no U.S. national security purpose. That was key to him. Uh, People criticized him all week long before the ceasefire agreement uh, in Ankara was announced on Thursday for betraying the Kurds, for a strategic disaster. Every hyperbole you can imagine, Jimmy, was used to criticize the president, including from his own party and some of his biggest supporters, like Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, What they all failed to recognize was a very simple fact, and I'm writing about this on Sunday in the New York Post. Those 50 U.S. troops, were being considered by people like Lindsey Graham and the Democrats as a tripwire. In other words, if the Turks come in and kill them, which is what the Turks said they were going to do, Erdogan has threatened to do this for the past year. He said to the Americans, if you get in my way, we're going to kill you, so get out of the way. Those people in Congress are saying they are a tripwire. So let the Turks come in. If they're going to kill them, they are. And then what? We're going to go to war with a NATO ally? What strikes me in all this, Jimmy, is that the people who've been criticizing the president haven't been using their brains, uh, have not really been thinking this through, because that is the only logical conclusion of the strategy they were trying to push on the president, which was to keep those 50 troops there as a tripwire, in theory, to prevent the Turks. It wasn't going to prevent the Turks. The Turks were going to kill them. And then what? We can't go to war with a NATO ally. So then we look even worse than we were looking four or five days ago. Talk to me about China. They're getting into this action somewhat. They are telling Turkey to halt this military action as well. What part does China play in this role? Well, this is interesting. The Chinese have not really played much role in Syria up until now. But to see them condemn Ankara's move into Syria shows their increasing comfort zone in being involved politically, diplomatically, in the affairs of the Middle East. We know that they are increasingly involved economically. It's part of their Belt and Road Initiative 
to open a pathway from China all the way to Europe, the Silk Road, just as it was in the time of Marco Polo. Uh, so this shows an, a, a, a Chinese comfort level with throwing their weight around, quite literally, in the Middle East. Meanwhile, President Putin of Russia makes a visit, the first one within more than a decade, I would imagine, the latest reports I have, and he goes into Saudi Arabia. They have some very interesting conversations, both the president of Russia and the the crown prince of bin Salman. Uh, They had a lot to discuss, I am sure, but this does showcase Putin's influence in the Middle East, does it not? Well, it does. Putin, and Putin is very happy to do that. He wants to make, present himself as the kingmaker, knowing full well that the United States remains the kingmaker in the region. Uh, by the way, this is not the first time this has happened. You said it's the first visit by Putin in 10 years. But remember, the Saudis, when they feel threatened or when they feel that the United States is backing off in their support for them, will, will turn to other powers for help. In 1986, when they saw the Reagan administration uh, helping Iran through what became known as Iran-Contra, the Saudis turned to communist China to buy strategic missiles that could be equipped with nuclear warheads. Uh, So the Saudis have done this before. They've already bought some Russian military equipment, uh, just as Egypt has done. This is something normal in the region. It's also a wake-up call to the United States that if we want to have allies in the region, we have to be there for them. Well, that's seemingly what they're doing. They sent, uh, what, 3,000 troops and uh, some munitions in to Saudi Arabia in their fight uh, with basically Iran, but the Iranian proxies as well. Yes. Now, that's, that's something we have to look at more closely, and we don't know an awful lot of detail in the public record yet about those troops. I've heard the number 1,500 to 2,000. Uh, and that they're going to essentially shore up the missile defense systems, the air defense systems that are already in Saudi Arabia, the Patriot missile batteries and others, uh, that miserably failed to detect, deter, or destroy the Iranian drone and missile attack against Abqaiq, that enormous Saudi petrochemical facility a couple of weeks ago. So those troops are going there to help defend the Saudi oil fields. They are not being turned aggressively against Iran. I think that is something the president has made clear he's not going to do. He does not want to get sucker punched into a war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And I must say, I give him a great deal of credit for doing this. Nobody expected that Donald Trump would be so cautious in his use of military power as he has shown himself to be. No American president, including Obama, has been this cautious. Obama was very happy to carry out targeted killings using drone strikes, including against American citizens. That's something that President Trump has not done. For sure, though, this visit by the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, into Saudi Arabia, showing the world that Vladimir Putin is interested in having greater influence in the entire Middle East, which is what Bible prophecy actually does call for, Ezekiel chapter 38. Ken, it was a joy to be able to get with you and your precious wife a week ago today and have a meal there in Florida. Looking forward to doing that more often. But thank you so much for your report today. We'll talk again real soon. Amen to that, Jimmy. Look forward to seeing you too. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got a Middle East news update. Additional information coming from David Dolan. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central, not Chattanooga, Tennessee, but Tallahassee, Florida. This is our temporary headquarters for the broadcast as we're on our way over to Alabama. We're going to Oxford, Alabama. The Trinity Baptist Church will have services all day Sunday in a four-day prophecy conference, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings as well, Prophecy Q&A. Each evening before the service begins when I'll be teaching the Word of God. We've been many times to Trinity Baptist, looking forward to being with Pastor Grinstead, all of his staff, and uh, being on the radio. They have a couple of radio stations they operate. We're on those radio stations, always honored to go back and be with Pastor Grinstead and his congregation, looking forward to this prophecy conference. Well, as promised, David Dolan is going to come to the broadcast table to give us his Middle East news update. And David, of course, celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles taking place all across the Jewish world, in particular in Jerusalem. And David, you've been there many times to celebrate Feast of Tabernacles. Christian pilgrims come from all over the world into Jerusalem to join in the celebration with the Feast of Tabernacles and their Jewish counterparts that are worshiping on this last of the Jewish feast. It's an exciting time in Jerusalem, isn't it? Well, Jimmy, it definitely is. Uh, It was always my favorite time of the year to be in Jerusalem, to visit different uh, sukkahs, the booths that people put up outside their homes, or many cases on their flat roofs. Most of the roofs in Israel are flat, as you know, with little borders around them. And to see people have decorated what foods they eat, it's a real 
uplifting time, a great time, and of course, biblical. One of the three feasts that the Jewish people were told in the Bible to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate. So always wonderful, but of course there's always the tensions around the region, and people keep their eyes out for that, but uh, a special time indeed. And Christians note that in the book of Zechariah it says the holiday will be continued to be celebrated in the millennium when the Lord reigns and that all the nations will participate. It doesn't state that about any other holiday so clearly. So this will continue into eternity, and that gives a lot of people, Christians as well as Jews, the impetus to start celebrating it right now, and many are all across the world. Yes, and especially the Jews that have made their way over to Jerusalem to do exactly that. By the way, that's Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, if you would like to look that reference up. That is really an exciting statement made by the prophet Zechariah, of course, inspired of the Holy Spirit. But each and every year, all of us will go to Jerusalem, where the teaching by Jesus will take place. We'll be there on the Feast of Tabernacles. That is going to be a great time in the future when we continue to get together, won't it, David? Oh, absolutely. And it's just a wonderful foretaste of what's coming ahead and uh, literally seeing the people from the four corners of the earth in Jerusalem already today, not just waiting for the millennium, but already today doing that. And just a foretaste, but an exciting one indeed. Yes, a practice session for what we're going to do forever. Well, there was a historic first taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles, an official Saudi delegation from Saudi Arabia entering Israel. They went up on the Temple Mount in order to be able to pray. This was the Saudi national soccer team that went up. This is quite an interesting event, also taking place during the feast. It would have been unbelievable just 10 years ago, Jimmy, that uh, Saudi Arabia that had for so long been so anti-Israel that uh, there would be Saudi sportsmen in Jerusalem on a Jewish holiday celebrating with them. This is a marvelous thing and a sign of some of the work that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's been doing over the years to secure that alliance. Of course, it's built upon a shared mistrust of Iran, a shared enemy in Iran that wants to destroy both the Saudi regime and the Israeli country entirely. In the case of Saudi Arabia, they just want to take over Mecca and the holy sites, and uh, they're working towards that. But shared enemies have made Israel and Saudi Arabia closer friends now, and that's happening with other Arab countries as well. So that's a positive sign in a region that doesn't have many right now. Well, another visitor, unannounced, but uh, finally coming in and meeting with the Prime Minister, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He went to meet with the Prime Minister in his sukkah there in Jerusalem. I thought that was interesting, along with the U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. But uh, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, was there for a special reason, reporting on the situation as it relates to Syria, was he not? Uh, Very much. Uh, He came directly from his meeting with the Turkish, well, some people would call him a dictator, but the Turkish leader, Erdogan, in Ankara. Of course, the vice president, Mike Pence, was also involved in that meeting. And president sent Pompeo directly to Israel's closest ally in the region, Israel, to apparently reassure 
the Israeli leaders that uh, the situation has not dramatically changed after the sudden withdrawal of U.S. forces from northern Syria. But, Jimmy, reading the Israeli press, listening to some of the cabinet members in Netanyahu's government, uh, there is a great deal of fear of uh, confusion. One of the uh, largest papers, Yeti Odakranot, ran a headline, A Knife in Our Back. In other words, this action by President Trump is a knife in Israel's back. Now, why are they saying that? Well, the U.S. is seen as the main stabilizing force in the region. The U.S. has been seen for decades as the only real force that might stand in the way of Islamic radicals, both from the Sunni wing, uh, that's Islamic State, and other groups like that, uh, of course, Islamic Jihad, Hamas, and others that Israel's daily dealing with, and, of course, the Iranian regime and its uh, Shiite extremism that's growing all over the region is, has been spreading like a spider web uh, over the past few years. And the Israelis have always seen the United States as the main buffer against these forces uh, attacking Israel. They have to answer to Washington as well. And now they're just not so sure. They see President Trump's statements, uh, endless wars, and that's over there, 7,000 miles away. We don't want to get involved in other people's conflicts as indicating that possibly uh, he won't uh, support Israel militarily if, if Iran attacks. But the worst, the bottom line, Jimmy, that the Israelis are worried about, and Netanyahu undoubtedly spoke about this with Pompeo in his sukkah and in their meetings, two-hour meetings they had on Friday, that Iran has been emboldened now, further emboldened, and that the chances of an attack upon Israel have grown substantially, they believe, and that's what we're hearing, at least, in the press and from different commentators. Uh, the prime minister hasn't said that himself, but the judgment seems to be it's substantially grown as a result of this U.S. action, and, of course, that is unnerving to the Israelis, and they're very, very worried about it. And at the same time, Mike Pompeo telling the prime minister at the end of the month of October, Jared Kushner and his peace envoy team are coming to meet with them in Israel as well. The peace plan from Donald Trump, they want to try to put it in place. I don't know if that's going to happen. You still have the opinion that this peace plan will never come together? Well, Jimmy, for one thing, we just have a temporary government, and uh, the prime minister just has one more week to form a coalition, and then he could either be given another extension by President Rivlin, or uh, the mandate could be given to uh, Gantz, Benny Gantz, the head of the Blue and White Party. So there's a great deal of instability in the Israeli political scene. So that's one thing. The Palestinians remain at odds, Hamas and and uh, Islamic Jihad controlling the Gaza Strip, fighting all the time, at least verbally, sometimes physically, with the Palestinian Authority that rules in Judea and Samaria. So they're divided. And, you know, the region is, uh, as we're discussing, is just uh, in turmoil. And so at this time, to bring in uh, a controversial peace plan, and it will be controversial to some people, uh, certainly, and uh, we're hearing that it's not going to demand that much from Israel as maybe the Obama administration would have or previous administrations. We heard this week that there will be no withdrawal of Israeli 
citizens living in Judea and Samaria, in the settlements, the communities there, that none of those will be demanded to be abandoned, so the Israelis will welcome that. But the Palestinians have already condemned this peace plan completely, say it's a non-starter. So, uh, you know, no indications that an actual peace agreement can be arrived at in this era. And again, uh, not even certain that it will be unveiled. Uh, Israel has to have a functioning government before that can happen. And they have a caretaker government now, but a caretaker government is not strong enough to uh, deal with such a huge issue. At least that's what commentators are saying. Yes, and we'll stay on top of this story with David Dolan, who's the man who covers the Middle East for us, has been doing that as a journalist for over 35 years. David, thank you for your update. It's so important we get this on a weekly basis. We'll do it again next week, buddy. Have a great week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. Always great to hear from David Dolan. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Winky Madad's standing by. He's going to tell us about the priestly blessings that were pronounced on many Jewish and Christian worshipers in Jerusalem at the Western Wall Plaza. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move now into our second half hour. I've asked you for three half hours, a total of 90 minutes, and if you'll give us that, we'll give you the world and our broadcast partners all across the world will give us reports helping us to understand better how the prophetic scenario found in God's Old Testament is telling us what is going to happen in the future. We try to put current events in light of these prophetic passages together, and that's why we have the broadcast, especially to keep you up to date on where we are in God's plan. Well, as promised, Winky Madad joining us at the broadcast table. Winky, haksameyak to you. Last week we talked about that you had already built, actually, your sukkah, your tabernacle, your thatched hut. You've been living in it. Has it been a good time of celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles there at your sukkah? It's been relatively good. There was, I would say, one night we had to come inside because it was raining. Because the Hebrew calendar this year is actually deep into uh, October, uh, the weather here in Israel is a little bit uncertain, and so we had some rain this week. Otherwise, most of the time it's been sunny, and I can tell you also sometimes very hot to sit in there. We've had some guests. We enjoyed the holiday. In fact, one day we even drove out via buses 
Uh, as you know, we don't own our own cars, so we use public transportation to visit with some family in a place called Kfar Saba, which is back in old Israel. Wow, that's neat. And this is a special time for families, the Feast of Tabernacles, when they live just as they did during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Now, we talked with Winky last week about all of that, so we won't elaborate much farther except for the fact the Feast of Passover, that's the first of the seven Jewish feasts there in Leviticus 23, and the Feast of Tabernacles, the last of these seven feasts, are times when the priest will offer a blessing to all of those who gather there in the Western Wall Plaza. That's exactly what happened earlier this week, an amazing time. I heard uh, one, I think it was the ambassador from the United States to Israel, David Freeman. He said he thought there were about 100,000 people there, another estimate, uh, 40 or 50,000. But it was a great time with the priest offering the blessing to all the worshipers, wasn't it? Yes, it was, Jimmy. As I've, I think, repeated on the program, um, many of the holidays, of course, that we do celebrate are both combinations of an agricultural aspect as well as a very religious and observant type of a time, and all were bound up with the Holy Temple. And so even though we do not have the Temple, we try or attempt as much as possible to recreate scenes or acts uh, that were done at that time as part of the renewed service here in Israel. And so just as then in the Temple, the priest would come out and bless those who were congregated on the Temple Mount, whether within the Temple precincts or outside, because the Temple Mount was larger than the Temple itself. And so that's what we do today, and it's a, a joyous time. In fact, many people come from abroad just to be able to be at the Western Wall when this priestly blessing is recited. Now, this priestly blessing was offered by the men as I understand it, who have been studying the priestly duties, especially with the Temple Institute, in order to be able to serve in the temple that uh, the Temple Institute and many of the Jews, like you, for example, Winky, want to have rebuilt there on the Temple Mount. Is that a correct understanding? Your understanding is correct. I can even add that on Thursday there was a recreation of the libation ceremony, a part of the Sukkot, the Tabernacle Festival, was a special pouring out of the water that was gathered at the Shiloh Pool and was brought up into the Temple Mount in a very special way on the, on the top of animals. And so that, in a certain sense, is again an instructive and consciousness-raising uh, event that took place during the week of Sukkot to try to highlight the centrality of the Temple and the temple worship in the life of the people. Winky, I was looking at the Jerusalem Post. They had a report about many, many Jews going up onto the Temple Mount during this Feast of Tabernacles. They're not allowed to pray, not allowed to take any religious books or items up there. But I understand some did go up and did pray. And Yehuda Glick, who used to be a member of the Knesset, also the director of the Temple Institute, he was up. That's his encouragement today, is it not, to try to get as many Jews as possible to go up onto the Temple Mount? Yes, all that is true, Jimmy. As far as I can see on my WhatsApp group from the Temple Mount, 
as I speak to you, they've already broken the record of uh, Jews entering the Temple Mount within the special observance of the restrictions of where not to walk and where one can walk for the week of the holiday with one more day left, which is Sunday. Uh, I think it's already something like way over 2,000 people, and so everybody's very excited that additional numbers and, and the ranks are swelling of people coming from all types, both uh, less observant, shall I say, to national religious, to ultra-Orthodox who can be found up on the Temple Mount during this week. You know, this is exciting to me because it's indication that there are so many Jews excited about the possibility to have a temple up on the Temple Mount. All preparations seem to be made. They just need to remove that Dome of the Rock, then go up there and build the temple. They're all ready to do that. Well, that's a great story. So glad to be able to communicate with you about that, Winky. But let me ask one more thing before I let you go. How's the election process going? Has the prime minister been able to try to put together a coalition government? What's going on? Uh, Jimmy, as I speak to you, Mr. Gantz, Mr. Benny Gantz, who is the head of the Blue and White Party, which was the main competition of Mr. Uh, Netanyahu, has turned down yet another offer of Mr. Netanyahu to uh, formulate a, a national unity government of some sort. And so we're still stuck. I think he has a little bit less than a week left for Mr. Netanyahu to either ask for an extension of the time that needed for negotiations, which the president may not actually give him, or simply return the whole portfolio back to the president, and then we see what happens. It could be that the Knesset might say uh, 61 people have signed on for another candidate, or the president might give it to someone like Mr. Gantz, who will try to set up a minority government. In fact, I about a month ago or so, I think, Jimmy, I did speak about a minority government. If Mr. Lieberman, who runs a Russian party, does not vote against it. But uh, all bets are uh, off, actually, because it's very, very convoluted and complex. And, in fact, there is one other alternative, the possibility of going to a third election. I don't think anybody wants to do that. Winky, again, Haksameyak to you. I'm sorry for interrupting your time there in the Sukkah, but it was a joy to be able to talk to you. We'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much, uh, and also for your blessings on this holiday of ours, and uh, thank you, and to all the listeners, and you, goodbye. Very important conversation with Winky Madad, an update on the political situation in Israel. And, of course, talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, the priestly blessings at the Western Wall Plaza, and many other activities. Right now, we're going to the European Union. The man who covers that for us is John Rood. And, John, looks like there's a deal. Or is there a deal? Or what's the situation on Brexit today? Yes, there's been a last-moment attempt. There is a deal for Brexit. The European Union is behind it. It still would have to pass the British Parliament, which is going to be a very, very difficult situation. But finally, just with, in a sense, hours left before a vote would be forced in the U.K. Parliament, 
the uh, Northern Ireland backstop has been removed, so there would be no physical border necessary. And so this paves the way in the agreement for a free trade agreement that UK can do with the EU. But there is the DUP party now in Northern Ireland says they're not going for the deal. They have 10 votes, and five of those votes would be needed to pass. The Labor Party says they don't agree. And so if it doesn't pass, then we have to have, by law, an extension to January 31st if the EU agrees. Otherwise, we go into a general election, and it appears that the Brexit Party is not supporting this deal as well. So it could be leading to a general election, and then the place of the Brexit Party after a new election for the entire nation. Well, the Prime Minister of Great Britain says there's a deal, but as you've just reported to us, it seems to be as up in the air as it has always been. Well, we'll stay on top of the story for us. By the way, it looks like the European Union is furious with Turkey, and uh, they are threatening to put sanctions on arms, embargoes, etc. on Turkey. Give us the latest there. Well, Jimmy, this is a rare instance where Turkey is actually showing some backbone. Of course, Turkey has had an invasion of northern Syria, taking advantage of the situation. And then President Erdogan of Turkey warned the European Union, saying that if they would consider sanctions because of this move, he would open the gates to send 3.6 million refugees from Syria in Turkey to Europe if they weren't behind him. So this was kind of not acceptable to the EU since they actually, they've spent $6 billion supporting the Syrian refugees that live inside of Turkey. And the EU Council President has said we'll never accept refugees that are weaponized and used as blackmail. So it appears that uh, Turkey here is taking a very strong stand. They've backed off a little bit with the United States but they would be less likely to back off against Europe because they've shown themselves so weak. John, as all of us know, Turkey is a member of NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and it seems like uh, this invasion has sparked somewhat of a NATO crisis. What's the latest on that? NATO is really in a serious situation with Turkey. This has just been one of many, many instances over the last several years now where Turkey is acting quite independently against the interests of NATO, something to be done would be monumental with the alliance, which has been since after World War II. This is really one of the most major political problematic situations today. What will happen? Yes, what will happen? That's basically what we're asking about every issue I discuss with you. What about the European Union leaders having their summit? They're discussing Syria, Brexit, and, of course, enlargement for the European Union. What's the latest? The uh, biannual European summits are held in Brussels, and so they're wrapping things up right now. The main agenda points are Syria, as we've just discussed, Brexit, which we've just discussed, and so it appears we understand the outcomes on that. But they're also uh, working with the enlargement situation. As we know, the EU is currently 28, soon to be 27, it appears. But Albania and North Macedonia were denied approval towards membership. So this has been a very rare move on the EU not to 
assimilate small countries that they're able to control easily, but they can see that their plate is full, so they're denying approval to Albania and North Macedonia, and so expect to see increased Russian influence in those areas since they will feel rejected. And this is likely to be the last uh, EU summit with 28 nations. Yes, but whatever the number of the nations, whether they go up or down, we ultimately know Daniel talks about 10 units or nations or regions or something that will reform the old Roman Empire. Looks like we're on that pathway to the fulfillment of prophecy, doesn't it, John? Absolutely, and uh, that's what we say. The real situation here, uh, especially Brexit, for example, it comes down to that they joined a free trade association in the mid-70s, but now they're being forced into a political union, and it was in June 2016 they said they didn't want that. So what will happen with all the other nations who don't want the political union? As, as you said, the number of nations will change. We will have an eventual 10. That's John Root. He's the man who covers the European Union for us. It's always key to have his report. Thank you so much, John. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Very important conversation with John Rood. He updates us each and every week on the European Union. Brexit seems to be coming together. We're not sure. It seemed that way before. You never can tell what's going to happen with the Prime Minister there in Great Britain. Very interesting man. This is all a very interesting situation. Well, we'll stay on top of it with John Rood. Right now, we're going back to the Middle East. We're going to be talking with Itamar Marcus. Itamar Marcus heads up a team that is put together for the purpose of monitoring the Palestinian media, both the print media and the electronic media. Itamar Marcus heads this team up for the purpose of being able to tell the rest of the world what the Palestinian leaders are really saying to their people. It's a key service that he offers. Their website is palwatch.org. And Itamar, there is a top Fatah official who has come out and says, let's escalate violence so that the Israelis will have to pay on a daily basis for what the Palestinian people say they are doing. Please just briefly explain who Fatah would be and then talk about these statements that this official is making. Well, the person who made the statement is Abbas Saki, and he is a senior Fatah official. Fatah is the political party of Mahmoud Abbas. Mahmoud Abbas is the leader of the Palestinian Authority, and he's supposed to be a moderate, and, and, and he's supposed to have renounced violence and terror. And here we have one of his senior people, a member of the Central Committee, uh, saying that they have to escalate uh, violence that Israelis pay dearly on a daily basis. The Palestinian Authority leadership, when they want violence, they're very careful because uh, we're looking and we're watching. They're very careful to give these euphemisms for violence so that they can get away with it, but their people know exactly what they mean. Uh, and that's what was happening here. He didn't want us to be able to report to the United States government, to the Israeli government. The Palestinians are again explicitly calling for violence. So he says it in a way, Israelis will have to pay dearly. Well, obviously, every Palestinian understands, and we understand, that he is calling for violence against Israel. And that call for violence is going to be because 
what the Palestinian people leadership says is that the state of Israel, the Jewish state of Israel, is basically occupying what was a Palestinian piece of real estate. Even they mention a Palestinian nation in the past. Now, there is the phrase that's used by the Palestinians that the Israelis are occupiers, but many of the Jewish leadership talk about a disputed territory where the Palestinians are living today. Explain the two differences there, how they are trying to use just that vocabulary to attack the Jewish people. Yeah, that's very important because language plays a very important role in the Palestinian propaganda. First of all, in order for a territory to be occupied, it had to once belong to one side and then having me or one country, and then being taken away from that country and, and give, by someone else, by a different country. In this case, what the Palestinians are saying is that the land of Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, Gaza Strip, belonged to some kind of Palestinian state, and the state of Israel took it away. Well, that, of course, is a complete 100% fabrication. Um, there never was a Palestinian state. Judea and Samaria never belonged to a Palestinian entity of any kind. Um, it was called Palestine, but that was the geographic area, and then it was British. And then there were Palestinian Jews, and there were Palestinian Arabs. Palestinian was not a term that referred to Arabs or to Muslims. It was a term that referred to all the people living in the land. Israel got its state when it declared independence in 1948, and it was recognized by the world. We got Judea and Samaria when the Arab states uh, tried to destroy Israel. We got Jerusalem the same way when the Arab states tried to destroy Israel. They were taken legitimately. They can't possibly be occupied because they never belonged to anyone else. Uh, even Jordan, who was holding Judea and Samaria until the Six-Day War in 1967, they didn't have it legally. It wasn't recognized by the United States and most of the world. Only two countries ever recognized Jordan. So if anyone has a claim, it's Jordan, but they don't claim it. So therefore, the land is rightfully Israelis, and it can't possibly be an occupation. You know, it's terrible the way the media, I'm not talking about necessarily the Palestinian media. I'm talking about the U.S. media continually talks about Palestinian areas as occupied by the Jews. They do not do the research, do not do their due diligence to understand exactly what they should be reporting. Well, you told us Fatah is a part of the terrorist organizations of the Palestinian people. There are two of them, Fatah, which would be under Mahmoud Abbas, and that's the center part of the state, Ramallah, just north of Jerusalem. But then there's Hamas, and they control the Gaza Strip. And Fatah leadership now trying to get Hamas to join them in this armed struggle you think they'll ever come together and go after the Jewish state? It's very interesting what you're asking, because the one thing that does unite them is their hatred of Israel and the desire to see Israel eliminated. Uh, however, their, their competition between each other, each one desiring to be the leader, won't even help the other one to destroy Israel. Hamas wants to be the one to destroy Israel. Fatah wants to be the one to destroy Israel. They can't even get together on how to do that. But most importantly, they fear each other more than they fear Israel. Fatah knows that Hamas would destroy them in Judean Samaria, in what they call the West Bank, and take over completely if they had the chance. And Hamas knows that, that Fatah would do that in, in the Gaza Strip. Both of them know that Israel would never is not interested in doing that to them. 
the irony here is the both Hamas and Fatah tell the international community that Israel is the bad one, yet they both fear each other far more than they fear Israel. That is a very interesting bit of information. I did not even realize that myself. Thank you, Itamar, for that insight. Well, the leadership of Fatah, the man we've been talking about, is also asking the Arab states to join with Fatah and come into Israel to endeavor to protect the holy sites. And they're kind of focusing on the holy sites so they can motivate these people to join them in this violence that he is propagating. Yes, they know that religion is central to the Muslim world. Polls, for example, in the Palestinian Authority find that over 95% say that religion is important to them. I think last year it was up as high as 98% of Palestinians saying religion is important. So if you can consent, and the Muslim world is the same, certainly Saudi Arabia uh, and the other Muslim countries, if you can convince them, if Abbas and the PA can convince them that this is an Islamic war, if they're fighting Israel in the name of Islam, and not in the name of Palestinian false nationalism, then they could join. And that's why the Palestinians aren't telling the Arab world, come join us to save Palestine, because no one cares about Palestine. They all probably know that it never really existed. But they say, join us to save Islam, because then they know that that's something that these countries care about. Very interesting development among what's going on in the Palestinian media. One other thing, I read the article on your website, palwatch.org, and I had never realized this. They say that the Israeli flag, you might remember, folks, it has the Star of David, but two strips on it, blue strips on the white background. And the Palestinians are saying that one strip represents the Nile River, the other Euphrates. They're saying that this is a symbol uh, that the Jews will ultimately control all the land between the Nile and the Euphrates River. That's from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, and that's basically what God told Abraham would happen. Uh, that's interesting, isn't it, how this all is in their minds? Is it truly that the reason for the stripes or just in their minds? Well, what they're trying to do there is it's similar to what I said before. They They have to motivate... Uh, they know they can't destroy Israel alone. They want to get the Arab and Muslim world. So they tell the Muslim world that it's an Islamic war against uh, Israel and to protect Muslim holy sites. And they tell the other countries that they are being threatened by Israel. They say, look at the Israeli flag. The Israeli flag symbolizes the goal to reach the Euphrates. And then, of course, all these countries, Lebanon, Syria, uh, and others are all uh, Iraq, all of them then are part of Israel's target. And then they would say, okay, we will help fight Israel because we are in danger ourselves. So it's all part of the same thing. The Palestinians are really isolated. Nobody in the Arab world or the Muslim world really cares about them anymore. They have proven to be not only a terrible partner for Israel, a so-called partner for Israel in peace, but they've also proven themselves to be very unfaithful uh, to the other Arab countries and Muslim countries in, in every bit of interaction with them. So nobody cares about them anymore. They have to do something to get them to care. So again, they call it an Islamic war for one group, and then they call it a, a nationalist war where Israel is planning to take over these lands. Hopefully they're trying to, with those kind of libels about Israel, they're trying to get those countries to join, uh, to join them in the fight against Israel. 
And basically, Palestinian media has been used as a propaganda machine or a vehicle by which they can convince the Palestinian people, the Islamic world, that we are a part of what God has given to the Jews, uh, but they say it belongs to the Palestinians. Quite an interesting development unfolding. And Itamar, you and your team are so good at being able to ferret out what they're actually saying and make it available for the rest of the world to understand. By the way, Edomar, thank you so very much. You are in the process of celebrating Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, you broke it just a few moments so you could come and be on the air with us. I appreciate it. Chak to you, my friend. Thank you very much uh, for your good wishes, and it's a wonderful celebration. And I actually spoke to a large group of Christian tourists who are here um, in Israel now to celebrate, uh, as biblical prophecy talks about this holiday being a holiday that uh, the entire world will celebrate together in Israel, and that is why they're here. Apparently there are about uh, 5,000 that came just to celebrate this holiday. Well, that's great. Praise the Lord for that opportunity you had with those Christian pilgrims that have come to Israel. By the way, Zechariah 14, verse 16 says, We will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in the future in the city of Jerusalem. Itamar, thank you so very much. Again, Haksameak, we'll talk again real soon. Thank you very much. Very important conversation with Itamar Marcus. Quite interesting was the information he gave us as the Palestinians look at the Israeli flag and what it really stands for. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, one more broadcast partner, that's David James, will be discussing abortion. Keep the dial where it is. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at my temporary studios in Tallahassee, Florida. Welcome back to the last half hour of Prophecy Today weekend. I've asked you for 90 minutes. If you stay this half hour, you'll complete my request and you'll be able to understand why current events in this world are setting the stage according to the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy, setting the stage for these prophecies to be fulfilled. We're going to have David James in a moment. I'll have a conversation with him. It's on the subject of abortion. You do not want to miss this conversation. But first, let me give you my poll question. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column on the home page, if you'll scroll down, you'll find the question. Here it is. As my broadcast partners reported on issues in the Middle East and mentioned Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Iran, the Kurds, and Israel, and then reported the growing influence of Russia in that region, plus the fact that all of these players are mentioned in Bible prophecy, does it seem we are quickly moving to a point of the fulfillment of this biblical prophetic scenario? Now that's the question. If you'll answer it, we'd appreciate it so very much. By the way, we're going to be in meetings in Oxford, Alabama. Judy and I leave here, Tallahassee, 
on to Oxford this afternoon. We'll be there Sunday through Wednesday, a four-day prophecy conference. Love to have you come. Pastor Grinstead would invite everybody, especially those who are listening on his two different radio stations. We would love to have you come and study the prophetic word of God with us. And go to my website. There's interesting information about our School of Prophets the first week of December. It's on the banner above the home page. And in addition to that, go to Joshua Travel for all the information you may need to know to make a decision to join us on one of our eight tours that we do each year and this year as well. That address, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation on an issue that is confronting the body of Christ. We need to understand from a biblical perspective how we should deal with each and every issue that David and I discuss. This helps our daily walk with the Lord. And I'm so glad, David, you're able to be with us. I guess we just catch you before you get ready to head home after a week of teaching there at the Word of Life Bible Institute. By the way, all of our children went to the Word of Life Bible Institute, and now I hear one of my granddaughters is considering, after she finishes up high school this year, going to the Word of Life Bible Institute in Florida. I would recommend it, one or a two-year program that will assist your child or your grandchild or someone else you would like to support to have a foundation to go ahead, maybe to get more college or whatever they believe the Lord is leading them in. David, earlier this week, you sent me an article about a trial that's currently underway, which is related to a lawsuit brought by Planned Parenthood against the Center for Medical Progress That's related to an undercover video released by that group concerning Planned Parenthood's obvious trafficking in body parts of babies that they had aborted. Wow, that sounds terrible, but give us the latest. Sure. Well, on Monday, the LifeSite News website posted an article that carried the title, Jury Riveted by Testimony on Abortion Industry Whores in Planned Parenthood Body Parts Civil Trial. So this is a story coming out of San Francisco, and the opening paragraph reads as follows. Testimony from a longtime pro-life advocate about the grisly reality of the abortion industry riveted jurors in the Planned Parenthood baby body parts RICO trial now taking place in San Francisco. The author of the article went on to say, Planned Parenthood Federation of America brought the suit after the Center for Medical Progress released undercover videos in 2015 exposing the abortion giant's trafficking in aborted baby body parts. So the plaintiffs in the trial are five individuals connected with the Center for Medical Progress, as you mentioned, and they are being accused by Planned Parenthood of committing wiretapping, conspiracy, trespassing, and breach of contract, as well as violating the RICO Act, which stands for Racketeer Influenced Corrupt Organizations Act. So this is in connection with going undercover at Planned Parenthood and National Abortion Federation meetings, and Planned Parenthood is seeking damages in the millions of dollars. And apparently one of the Center for Medical Progress board members gave this disturbing and compelling testimony about things he has become aware of over the years. For example, as far back as 1982, the bodies of some 16,000 aborted babies were found in a shipping container in Woodland Hills, California. Wow, that is a 
terrible report. I mean terrible, not because of the way you had to give it, but because of the contents of the report. Any other further details about the testimony that this director gave uh, concerning the current case that's being tried in court now? I think it might be easiest if I just read some of the transcript of his testimony so our listeners can understand uh, what was said. He said the usual morning ritual of the staff arriving, then the abortionist, then mid-morning they would see a, a new group of people, and sometimes one or two or three would come in, and they had containers. Sometimes they had bags of ice. And then in the afternoon, a FedEx truck would come and would remove various numbers of special refrigerated gel pack containers, and these went into the FedEx truck. And then he went on to say this, so it was pretty apparent that this particular place was harvesting. Whatever word you want to use was trafficking in the baby parts. In some cases, the people noticed that the parts went out even before the mother went out. So she would come out, sometimes staggering and typically throwing up in the bushes after the baby body parts had already gone into the FedEx truck. So, Jimmy, this is horrendous stuff that was going on. And now that Planned Parenthood has been exposed for what they are, they're trying to fight back. And, of course, this is just part of their war of intimidation to try to stop others from exposing them further. And, you know, this started coming out a couple of years ago. But as most things are nowadays, few stories survive the 24- to 48-hour news cycle. But hopefully this trial will bring attention back to what they began exposing several years ago. David, I think your word horrendous really describes uh, what these reports are revealing to us. Well, at Tuesday night's debate, eight of the 12 Democratic presidential candidates were asked a direct question about abortion because the party broadly supports Planned Parenthood. Let's take a few moments, David, if you will, to talk about the origins of Planned Parenthood and a bit of its history, please. Well, on the Who We Are page of the official Planned Parenthood website, you can find this statement. On campuses and online, in state houses and courts, in community settings and in the media, Planned Parenthood is a visible and passionate advocate for policies that enable Americans to access comprehensive reproductive and sexual health care, education, and information. However, near the top of their homepage is a section titled, Where Can I Get an Abortion? So this is one of the first things that people see when they go to the website. And so I decided to check on this, and I found six locations within a 100-mile radius of where I live in the Terre Haute, Indiana area. Now, Margaret Stanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood, and she opened the first birth control clinic in the United States on October 16, 1916. Then in an October 2016 article, Time Magazine had this to say concerning the anniversary of the beginning of Planned Parenthood. They wrote this, An advocate for women's reproductive rights who was also a vocal eugenics enthusiast, Margaret Sanger leaves a complicated legacy and one that conservatives have periodically leveraged into sweeping attacks on the organization she helped found. Then in Uh, Back in August of 2015, National Public Radio published an article that tried to dispel what they deemed were misrepresentations of Sanger, but it had to say this about eugenics. Eugenics was a discipline championed by prominent scientists but now widely debunked that promoted good breeding and aimed to prevent poor breeding. And the article continued with this. The idea was that the human race could be bettered through encouraging people with traits like intelligence, 
hard work, cleanliness, which was thought to be genetic, in order to reproduce. And eugenics was taken to its horrifying extreme during the Holocaust through forced sterilizations and breeding experiments. So, Jimmy, after abortion was legalized in the 1970s, uh, Planned Parenthood became a top abortion provider. And in the 2017-2018 fiscal year, uh, the organization provided over 332,000 abortions. It is just horrendous. Again, that's the only word to describe it. It certainly is. And, folks, these are simply the facts. We're not making opinion statements. These are simply the facts that we're talking about. David, in contrast to the Democratic Party platform and the views that would be held by their presidential candidates, President Trump and his administration have made huge strides in combating the murder of innocent children through abortion. Talk to us about that. Well, you're exactly right, Jimmy. When we last discussed the abortion issue in May, according to some reports, as many as 30 abortion laws had been passed by the current state legislatures, and at least 15 states had passed or proposed heartbeat bills. In March, Mississippi passed a heartbeat bill. Then in April, Indiana placed a near-total ban on the most common type of second trimester abortion in the state. That's my state. And Georgia passed a heartbeat bill in May. And then days after the Georgia bill, Ohio passed a bill banning abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected. And that same month, a committee of the Louisiana House in Baton Rouge advanced a fetal heartbeat bill, and the Missouri Senate passed a fetal heartbeat bill that includes an exception for medical emergencies, but not for pregnancies caused by rape or incest. And over time, the courts have grown more sympathetic, and a broad swath of the country's middle and south now has minimal access to abortion. In fact, six states each have only one abortion clinic left, and those states are Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, South Dakota, and West Virginia. You know, Jimmy, this is rapidly becoming a state's rights issue related to personhood. And as our listeners may recall, it is this combined issue concerning states' rights and personhood that was a major catalyst to the Civil War back in the 1860s. So this is very important for the future of our country because it represents an attack on our Constitution and the very soul of our nation. Well, I would agree 100% with that statement. David, as we conclude our conversation, what would you say are just a few of the logical, scientific, and biblical arguments against abortion? Well, scientifically, the baby has a completely unique genetic code. And also, being dependent on the mother and being part of the mother's body are two different things. A nursing baby has a dependent relationship with the mother but isn't a part of her body. And logically, those with physical and mental disabilities, as well as the very elderly, are almost completely dependent upon others for their survival. Does this mean their lives can be terminated because of this situation? And then turning to biblical and theological arguments for the beginning of life. For those who claim to be Christians, abortion should never be acceptable. Consider what the Lord said of Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And it's also clear from the incarnation of Jesus Christ that life must begin at 
conception. The obvious question is, when did God take on human flesh? And the only answer can be at conception. It wasn't at his birth. It wasn't at 20 weeks. It wasn't when he first had a heartbeat. You know, when Mary was still pregnant, she visited her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth referred to Mary as the mother of my Lord. And what if Mary's attitude had been the same as that of some politicians and other pro-abortion activists who claimed to be Christians, like several of the current Democratic candidates for president. Boy, those were good points, David. I appreciate it so very much. Friends, you should send this conversation along to some of your friends across the countryside and even around the world. They need to hear this conversation. You can forward it along, send the link by going to my website, prophecytoday.com. Then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you'll find this conversation, then the link. Send that along so others can hear and have these points to be able to talk with their friends and understand why abortion is murder and God's word is against it. David, thank you. This was great information you've given us, great insights, my good friend. Thank you so much, and uh, have a safe journey back home. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Good to be with you again. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible, take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
On Prophecy Today weekend, we heard from our broadcast partners around the world. They gave us the details behind current events that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This is a service that we offer here at Prophecy Today so that all of us can recognize the times in which we're living and look to God's plan for these end times. Now, by the way, if you missed any of the reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and then go to PTRN, where we have archived these reports. You can listen to our broadcast partners, and then be sure to send the link to a friend that needs to hear these reports as well. We want to spread this information to as many people around the United States and, in fact, around the world. Today, we heard from Ken Timmerman, for example. He covers geopolitical events for us. He talked about the Vice President Pence and President Erdogan meeting that was for the purpose of setting up a temporary peace deal. Now, a lot of talk has been going on in the Middle East about peace. This is a deal that is going to be very temporary, I think something like five days. But there is another piece that is coming. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 talks about the Antichrist who will confirm a peace treaty. That's Daniel 9, 27. And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant, a peace treaty for many That's the state of Israel and their enemies, and that will be a pseudo-peace that will be put in place. And in fact, when that peace is confirmed, it starts the clock ticking on the seven-year period of time. David Dolan has been a journalist in the Middle East for over 30 years. He came to the broadcast table today to talk about the celebration in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, the Jewish people are commanded to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Christians come along to celebrate with the Jewish people as a practice run for the future. Study sometime, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 16. That tells us that the Feast of Tabernacles will be observed not only today, but in the millennium and into eternity future as well. All the population of the world will go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles on an annual basis. We then heard from Winky Madad. He gave us some of the activities that have been happening this week during the Feast of Tabernacles. Winky reported about the priestly blessings that were pronounced there at the Western Wall Plaza with hundreds and thousands of Jewish and Christian worshipers. This was a very important time. Remember, the priestly blessing is given on the pilgrim feast days, Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles, thus the event happening this week. You know, the priests that gave those blessings, they're the ones who have been preparing to serve in the next temple. By the way, all the preparations have been made for that temple. It's done, ready to go up. All we need to do is remove that dome of the rock, and then they will begin to build that 
temple. So next Feast of Tabernacles, the temple may well be standing there in Jerusalem. John Rood, he reports on the European Union, and he said that the European Union is furious about Turkey's invasion of Syria and their attack on the Kurds. European Union and Turkey make up what we know as NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Both of these entities are in biblical prophecy. The European Union will be the revived Roman Empire, according to Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and then verses 23 and 24. Turkey is listed in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 6, as Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. Turkey and the European Union, major players in the future. Itamar Marcus talked about the escalation of Palestinian violence and also a very interesting insight into the Israeli flag about greater Israel. Ezekiel chapter 35 speaks to us about the Palestinians who will come in the last days to kill the Jewish people and then steal their land. We see all of that in the process of coming to fulfillment. As it relates to the Israeli flag, you might remember there's a Star of David and then two blue stripes on a background of the white flag. These two stripes, according to the Palestinians, represent the Nile River in Egypt and the Euphrates River at the northern part of Lebanon. These two rivers are the boundaries, according to the Bible, for the land that God has promised to give the Jewish people and that promise was in Genesis chapter 15. David James and I had a conversation on the subject of abortion. And I would suggest you might want to re-listen to that conversation. Go to my website. You can do that. But let me remind you quickly that Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us when life begins. It is not at birth. It is at conception. And before Jeremiah ever came out of the mother's womb, he had been appointed as a prophet to the nations. Therefore, abortion is murder. And Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6 says that the punishment for murder is the death of the murderer. All of these conversations have helped us to understand these current events happening around the world current events that are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You know, one of the reasons that we put these reports on the air from our broadcast partners is so that each of us who are students of Bible prophecy can see how God's prophetic scenario is coming better into focus each and every day. Remember the next event in God's plan is the rapture of the church. That is when Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, and the trump of God will sound, and those of us here on the earth who know Jesus Christ will be caught up to meet him in the air. And by the way, that rapture could actually happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Mm-hmm.